Hey there, ladies, you are tuned in to Being Eve. As you all know, we have the podcast takeover this week with Diane Langford James. So without further delay, here is part two of the series. So let's jump right in. Today, with all of the information out there, as my 90-year-old uncle would say, what a time to be alive. There is so much information. As I say, it truly does take a village to raise a child. And as my grandson would say, make sure it's the right village. So I would say to you, my sisters, make sure you're getting information from the correct source because this is not a dress rehearsal. You get good discernment. Your spirit will tell you, your heart will tell you so that you can find what we call your people, like-minded people that want more, want to do more, want to be more. And we can lock arms and hold each other high and encourage and support one another. And then all things are possible. So the subject is breaking them cycles and building legacies. And as Oprah would say, we all have a story. So I'm going to let you know a little bit about me. And I suppose I get to start at the beginning. So I would like to imagine it was a sunny, crisp and colorful autumn day. That October 25th, 1951, the day I was born as I made my grand entrance into the world. Dad held mom, filled with excitement for my arrival. Seeing me for the first time, their eyes were full with tears of joy, claiming the features that favored their side of the family. I could picture my mom rubbing her fingers gently down my cheeks, unwrapping me, and looking at my ten fingers and ten toes. My dad was speaking softly to me, telling me that he was there to protect, guide, and love me all the days of my life as he gazed upon me with pride. However, that was not the case. I found out later in life that my dad was nowhere to be found when mom went into labor. I often wondered what he could possibly have been doing that was more important than the birth of his child. My mom told me that my uncle was there to drive her to the hospital at 9.21 p.m. I was born in Boston, Mass. at Boston Memorial Hospital. I was my parents' second child and their second girl. And a few days later, my mother, when she after gave birth to me, She said she was really sick. And the next day that she fell to her knees in excruciating pain and had to be rushed back to the hospital. My mother's doctors wrongfully left the afterbirth inside of her, causing her to nearly die. That was my introduction to the world. As I grew up with my sisters, and there were five of us, It was a happy time. 
We wanted to play, go to school. His life was very simple, playing kickball. We acted like we were the Supremes and we really thought we were. <laughs> and everything was fine. And then a few years later, I look up and I see instead of people talking to each other, my family, they were talking at each other. I seen fighting going around. I seen uncles hitting aunts. I seen drinking going around. And oh, it was just chaoses and it was just breaking my heart. And I was a confused, confused little girl. And all I wanted was people to be happy. I remember going to see my grandmother a lot. And she would sit in the chair and then she would be shaking. I didn't understand what it was. So I was just like a little girl and I was just like holding her tight and I felt that by holding her that the shaking would stop and eventually the shaking did stop and I didn't realize it later she was having tremors and so with the yelling and the fighting going on and mom and dad fighting a lot and I remember one day that I felt like it was really the last day that when my dad would be there my mom was angry and she was walking down the hall in our house and she had a drawer that she had taken out the bureau and clothes were falling all over the place and she was walking to the door and it was dad stuff and I was trying to grab her arm. Mom, no, mom, no. And she just pushed me aside and I fell back and she opens up the door and turns the drawer upside down and all I seen was slow motion everything going and going and gone and she slams the door and locks it and I was crying and I knew at that time that my dad would never come back and I also realized at that time that I was able to speak but I lost my voice and so I just kept going through school and one day mom decided that we were going to move from Kenton, Mass into Brockton and now we're teenagers. And But during that time, I used to go to church every day. Mom and them wasn't at church, but we were raised Catholic and so I found my peace and serenity in God. We were little girls and we got dolls big as us for Christmas and I didn't want any big doll. I just wanted a little doll so I could go up near the chimney and pretend that it was Jesus and just be happy and content. Um, as I said, I grew up Catholic and back then you didn't ask questions so I was kind of confused as to who God really was. But one thing I did know is that God was loving and that's what I hung on to, that love. Um, so we moved from Canton as a teenager to Brockton, so from the, the little town to the city. Uh, found a job, and I had wanted to be a nun all my life, and so I found my first job in a nursing home with nuns and felt pretty good because I felt like I belonged there. But then it was time to leave there, and I found a job at the bank, and now I'm in high school and I'm a sophomore and I see this wonderful gentleman and he sees me and of course we start liking each other and so out the window goes the nun. <laughs> However, I'm not being bothered with anybody. There's I taught no sex. There will be none of that. 
until you're married and a couple of years go by and we're seeing each other and I'm a senior now. And mom and dad had not graduated from high school, so I just knew that I was going to do something great for the family and graduate from high school. And since they didn't, uh, we didn't have books and things at home to learn anything. So we were just coming home and going to school. And, you know, there was really nobody there for extracurriculum activities or to guide us along in the school. Uh, We just went to school and did what we were told. So I'm graduating from high school. Didn't really hear about college, so college wasn't in my mind. I was going to jump on the plane and I was going to California and become a model and become famous. <laughs> that was in my plan and anything really I set my mind to do, I could do. Um, I was confident. I was a hard worker. I can make some things happen. And so here I am, a senior, graduating from high school, just so excited. Then I was in modeling school at the same time. So within the same month, I graduated from modeling school. Oh, I was on my way to California to change my family legacy. And then we went to the prom and I was prom queen. And I was flying high and so excited. And my boyfriend said, you don't love me. And let my God down one time, had sex one time and got pregnant. And just like I watched those clothes fall down to the ground with my dad, I saw my life go right out the window. I resigned to the fact that I was not going to have an abortion. It was illegal, but it was against my morals and values anyway. I had already done one thing wrong, and I'm going to compound it. So that wasn't going to happen. And so I decided I would go to work and just get a good job and become a mother. And that's what I did. I got some great jobs for the state, for the city, for the phone company, and was with my daughter's father and he was cheating and cheating and I was staying and staying and he was cheating and my heart was getting broken and then things were going pretty good and four years later I found myself having another child. We found ourselves having another child and I had another daughter and he kept cheating and I kept forgiving and we had... We decided that we were going to get married. And I said, okay, so this is it. All of it's going to stop. We were once really kids and we're not anymore. And we got married. And nine months almost to the date, we had our son. So we have three children. And then he got a really good job. And he's going back into his old habits of hanging out with his friends and drinking and Oh, my goodness, and found him cheating again, and finally I had had enough. And I'm sure, my sisters, that you have your story to tell, and if you can relate to any part of this, uh, where our hearts get broken, where we feel like, you know, we've given everything, and why us? And so it was at that time that... I decided that enough was enough. I had found him cheating one other night. I went home and I locked the doors on him. And that was the end of that. And now it's like, poor me. I've given my life. I've been so good. I wasn't drinking or smoking. And 
I saw some people that I knew that were reputable and they were, you know, doctors and nurses and police officers. They were having a drink and they looked like they were having a good time. And my mind told me I deserve to have a good time. And I picked up a drink and a drug. And I looked up my sisters. And I say, I went to a party in 1989 and came out in 1998 or so it seemed. A decade was gone. I had a loss of my job. I had a loss of my apartment. I had a loss of my cars. I had a loss of my children. I had a loss of everything and most devastatingly myself. I was so mad at the system. I had tried to get help from my job and they didn't help me and to support my habit. I took it out on the system because that's what the drugs told me. So at that time, and I'm just talking real talk here, my sisters, I became a booster. So I was taking things out of the stores and I was, my mind told me that I'm not hurting anybody. I tell you, addiction is a strong hold. You do not think for yourself. The drugs think for you. Uh, it becomes all of you. So if you're dealing with anything out there, understand that your name is not Jesus. There are places people can go and things people can do. If I can give you anything, do not enable at all. And so one day I'm out there and it was nothing but the grace of God that I got locked up. And when I got locked up, I had looked up and it had happened repeatedly. I mean, after 10 years, you start the eighth year and then it's just one after another after another. And my attorney was on vacation and my mom and dad were there. And I can only imagine that they were happy to at least know where I was. Can you imagine that? Um, and the judge gave me a year to do and I lost it. I was like, mom, dad, no, we need a second opinion. Um, and then I went up to jail and I said to myself when I was locked into that room, I can absolutely just go ahead and just snap and lose my mind. Or I can surrender to the power greater than me, which was God. See, God never left me. I had left him through the disease. But when I cleared up, I knew that he was the source and that he loved me ever since I can remember. So I decided in that room, with the doors locked, that I would jump on top of the bunk bed and I would turn around. I would be locked physically but I wouldn't be lost mentally. And it was there that I started to clear up. It was there that I started to finally get some rest because I truly believed that I came to jail the day before I died. It was in jail that I gave myself back to God. And it was there that I 
went into the law library. I used to work for the library. That was one of my jobs. And so when I got clean, I went straight to the library. And there was a Jamaican lady there, and she said, you, after we had a conversation and she heard about my story, that I had worked all my life and I had the kids and that I was getting a divorce and I was depressed and I picked up and she said, lady, you don't belong here. No more one love. Do not come back into this place. You go and you get you a revise and a revoke. I didn't know what one was, but when I went to that library, I figured it out. And I wrote the judge a lengthy letter. And I mailed it off. And one day came. It was my 88th day. And I got to go in front of the judge. And when I did, and I spoke to him, and he read the letter, and he said, young lady, you do not belong in jail. I don't know what judge put you here, but you have a problem. You are not a bad person. And I can only imagine how many people go to jail and are in jail. Because of circumstances, I have to take responsibility for me. He gave me a revise and a revoke that day for 90 days And I had had 88 days in. I went back with a couple of days left and didn't say anything because if don't say anything, people might start trouble. And you know what? I didn't need any more trouble. I could do bad all by myself. I didn't need no help. But I remember the day that I was getting released and they asked me if I wanted to just get released or go to a DOC program, which is Department of Corrections. It's a locked facility, but not locked. And God would have it, I took the DOC program for another 90 days because I realized that I had been out there for about 10 years, gone, a decade or more, and that I was only 90 days clean, and that really didn't add up to me. So I decided that I would take the DOC program. But the day that they came to get me to release me, I remember being so clear and being so intentional as I looked around to the gates that once held me in and said, I will not come back here as God is my judge. As I looked around at the grass, I was walking. As I looked around at the houses and the compound where people were there and it was just like they had come accustomed to being there. Some were lifers. Some were just repeating and opening the door and coming back and repeaters and... I was like, I will not come back here. And when I do, I'm going to come back because I'm going to speak here to these girls because there is a life beyond this. And I remember looking at the guards and watching them and then watching me. And I remember being released and saying, I will not come back here. And so after many detoxes, you know, because I'm shortening the story so we can get to the real good stuff here about how we are breaking cycles and building legacies and we get to because that's who we are. I left out and I was like, okay, through the detoxes, I came in and left 30 days. I'm going to go save me and all my friends. No, I picked up again. And then I came back in and it was going to be me and my boyfriend will take care and we'll come back and I'll get him clean and me. No. 
And then it was, I'm going to get out and do it. It's for me and my kids. No. And it was for every other reason. No, 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 no. And then finally I realized I get to take care of me. And when I take care of me, then everything else will be okay. And so now I'm out. And my sister's using... My mom's like, go get her. And I'm like, oh, God, I can't. Not now because I just got out. And she called me up and said, I got this and I got that. And I'm like, no, no, no. Be safe. I'm going to come and get you. Just give me a little while. And I was just trying to figure out this thing called life out. And about a month later, I'm coming home from work with my mom. We had worked together. And my stepfather met us at the door. And his face looked like so fearful. And we're like, what happened? And my sister, who was 35 years old, had gotten into a head-on car crash and died instantly. And my mom screamed and she looked at me and said, I thought you were going to save her. And oh my God, just my sister being gone and drug-related and... What did I do? I picked back up and used again. Somehow we got through it. Her funeral at 35 years old, bless her soul, with a life full of potential. And I picked up again. And the next thing I knew, I'm walking down the street again, a lonely night, about four or five o'clock in the morning, sick and tired of being sick and tired, crying again looking up to God, and someone had told me that night that my sister would have been gone two years. And I truly felt like it was like two weeks. I was like, oh my God. And I remember looking up at the sky. It was September 20th, 1991. And I said, God, I surrender. Let your will be done with me. I didn't want to die anymore because it was time where I did. I didn't want to commit suicide. There was a time that I did. I didn't want to be a victim anymore, blaming my husband, blaming my mom, my dad, blaming everybody, my job and everything and no more. I finally realized that I was the problem and that I needed to take responsibility for me. And so I got clean on September 21st, 1991. And I have not found the need to pick up a drink or a drug again in spite of holding my mom's hand when she passed, my dad's hand when she he passed, my other baby sister who was 35 and drug-related as well when she passed, many friends and family, and so much. Because God, I realize, has left me here for a reason. And it is my duty and honor every day in every way to be about my father's business. And so I got clean in 1991. And then I started working and my daughter's kid's father got prostate cancer and died and she picked up. So I'm about a year clean and now I've got two grandkids. Hoping and praying that my daughter would get herself together and I'll lead by example. Because the disease would gladly take one, two, ten for the price of one. I take the two kids and then she's having another baby and it's a third kid and I take three kids. Oh my goodness. And I'm praying for her and she's using and 
now the kids are getting a little bigger and now I'm realizing, oh my goodness, I got to do something different. And that's when my baby sister died. She was 35 and it was drug related as well. And I remember holding her hand when she took her last breath. And I remember saying, life goes by so fast, dear God. And I remember saying, I'm leaving the job. I've got the grandkids. I know better. I'm a little clearer. When you know better, as Maya Angelou says, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, then do better. And so now, my baby sister was in college, so I decided that week I was going to leave that job and I was going to go to college. I hadn't been to school in 20 years, sisters. Didn't know if I could retain, but I was up for the challenge. And so I put in for college and off I went. I put my grandkids in private schools. I was taken from Peter to give to Paul anyway. I was taken from all the apostles. I didn't know who, but I knew I was being responsible <laughs> and it would get done. And so I'm in college and before you know it, four years go by quickly and I'm graduating. And the kids are growing up and they're doing well. I've got three, and my daughter has another kid, and oh my goodness, and the story goes on. And then I come out of college, and I decide I can't work for nobody again. I did that for 20-something years, and it didn't work. So I got into some MLM, multi-level marketing, which I loved, and I loved the niche, and I learned so much in personal development. But then one day, my grandson who was four when I took him, now 28 at the time, calls me up and says, Grandma, you get to come to a personal development program because there's something inside of you that is stopping you from being magnificent. And I'm like, hello? Who are you talking to, young boy? (laughs) Didn't I just raise you? And I truly believe that we're either listening to a critic or the champion in us. And the critic will say, no, you can't. So the critic in me said, I'm not going. It's in California. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I'm not getting involved in no cult. It's not messing with my morals and values. And on and on and on. And so I'm a believer, as you know. And if you're on this phone, yeah, call, podcast. And you're not a believer, which I believe you are anyway. Just believe that I believe even more so your relationship goes. And then the next morning, God says, I'm going. And I'm like, hold on, God. So we got to, you know, have a little uh, talk here. Can we negotiate a little bit? Can I get some confirmation? (laughs) So reluctantly, I went. I got my confirmation within an hour and I was into play. And let me tell you something. It's called Master in Transformational Training. You can't keep it unless you give it away. It's in California. And Margot Majesty is the founder. And I went there and I was rejuvenated. I was reclaimed. I was renewed because I got some clarity, some healing tools and techniques and around people that I didn't know for months that are still my friends today that I felt like I've known all my life that are like-minded. It's like you get to be around your people. EQ, emotional intelligence, is the answer. I am so excited about it. So I have 
graduated the program and I seen all of these wonderful people graduating, putting their kids and nephews in a teenage one. So it was an adult program condensed down to a champion for teens for $295. And so I befriended the founder by now, Margo, and I went to her and I said, you just taught me all, everybody gets to go. So what about the inner city kids? And what about the parents that work both jobs that can't afford it? And she said, I have the torch training. It's been laying dormant. And I said, well, with your blessing, I will take it back to Massachusetts. And that's what happened. So she, I said, could you state certify it and federal certify it? And I will take it back. And she said, absolutely, go make it happen no matter what. And that's what happened. Because when you know that you know that you know that this is the equation, I was looking for the equation. Because after raising my grandkids and breaking cycles, I didn't realize that's what I was doing. I was taking responsibility. And I look at the kids today and see them depressed and cutters and anxiety of the roof and suicidal and literally killing each other. Oh, no, we are taken back what the devil thought he stole. This is the equation. It's a cleansing and charity. Yes, their story is their story, but it's not going to dictate their present or their future. We are going to give them love and compassion and healing process begins with tools and techniques. They go out, they come in broken, broken, trust me, and they leave out with intention, taking responsibility, ready to soar and understand that they're going to break cycles and build legacies for their family. And so done that since 2015, um, done over 63 trainings and a few thousand kids have gone through um, in California, in Mexico, Ohio, Massachusetts, oh yes, yes, and years ago they was in China, it'll be global, this is the answer that has been missing for humanity, period, this is the gap, the paradigm shift. And we are now in the LAUSD, Los Angeles Unified School District and Massachusetts School District. Oh, it's amazing. And it'll be in yours too. Why? Because you say so. Well, with that said, I'm going to shift over really quickly and we're going to talk about this on part three. So after working with the teenagers, I realized, oh my God, my sisters, we get to have this because you know what? We wear so many hats and play so many roles and take care of everybody and everything. And unfortunately, it has been a common place where we put ourselves on the back burner no longer. You know, we're going to take care of ourselves. And when we take care of ourselves, everything else gets better. Just like if you're on an airplane, they say that, God forbid, if something happens, who do you put the mask on first? Well, we all, my sisters, have a little girl inside of us that gets to be healed for the biases or things we picked up along the way that aren't even ours. And then we get the tools and techniques, oh my God, that we can use that are amazing. We create a sisterhood where we hold each other high and we support each other and love upon each other. And oh my God, because... It is called Brave Hurry. Yes, Brave Hurry. And bravery has four core beliefs. 
Number one, women are powerful beyond measure. Yes, we are. Women are brave, resilient, and resourceful. Yes, we are. Women are a gift to the world. Yes, we are. And we are cycle breakers and legacy builders. Yes, we are. So with that said, my sisters, until we meet again on part three, may the good Lord keep you. May you know that you know that you know that you were born for such a time as this. May you know that you have gifts with your name on them and the world is waiting for you because you are amazing. So stay blessed and look forward. Well, ladies, that concludes part two of this series. I don't know about y'all, but I am super excited to hear part three because part two blessed my socks off. Okay. (laughs) I literally had to record this snippet a couple of times because man, I was just, I just kept on rejoicing at the amazement of God and what he is able to do when we completely submit ourselves to his will. When we completely say, you know what, Lord, I did it my own way. I messed up. I failed. I got in your way so many times, but Lord, I submit that will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. And he just shows out completely, y'all. <laughs> he just shows out in our lives. And I just could not contain my excitement. And I had to literally record this snippet like five times. <laughs> because I just went into praise and worship because it's just so amazing what God can do. And it's something else when you read it in a word, right? When you read it in the Bible, somebody that you don't know and that lived thousands of years. And you're like, oh. That can't be me. You know, that was David or that was this person or that was that person. But when you see that it's a real life person, someone that um, looks like you, right? Someone that could be from your neighborhood, someone that it can be a relative. And you see how much God was able to restore that person and not just restore them to a place where they're just comfortable in life, but restore them in such a way that they're literally back walking, talking in their purpose and they're calling it and doing it in such a magnificent way. That is God and that is God alone, y'all. So I hope this episode blessed you. And if you are struggling at any point right now, if you know someone who's struggling, if you're questioning your self-worth, if you're like, should I go back to school? You know, all these questions that we have when we're struggling about our purpose and our calling, just know that God is not a respecter of persons. And what that means is he does not play favorites. So what he did for Diane, he can do for us all. There is no limits to what God can do for his children, for those who love him. So ladies, I hope that you share this episode with your sister friends so that they know they are not alone. We are in this community together, that there will be no woman left behind who wants to live a life that is more than just surviving, that she wants to thrive, y'all. So share the episode, review, and don't forget to subscribe. I'll talk to you next week, ladies. Part three, released November 5th on Let's Talk Tuesday.